Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Today's Bible reading will be taken from Isaiah, uh, chapter 58, and I'm reading from the NIV. True fasting. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. It's not often that uh, you and we uh, get the opportunity as a church to uh, have uh, the calibre of speaker that we're going to have in Mark Scandrett tonight. And so this has been a great opportunity for our two churches to get together. And I'm so grateful for Graham and the crew uh, for being with us and for all of you and worshipping with us tonight. And um, it's uh, it's our pleasure to share Mark Scandrett with you in that way uh, because it's just been fortuitous in the way that uh, he has been with us here tonight. Uh, he's the sort of guy that... Uh, has been a pastor for uh, 25 years, but if we did that, it would sort of put him in a box that's not quite his box. In fact, I tried to put him in a box and you can't really put him in a box as a Christian leader. Uh, is he, is he poet? Is he activist? Is he pastor? Is he formation director? Is he lecturer? Uh, he's sort of all of those things, but none of those things. Uh, one thing that I do know that he is, is that he is a passionate follower of Jesus and he's a guy who will constantly push us towards that practical edge of spirituality. And so um, my pleasure tonight. Can we give a nice warm welcome to Mark Scandrett all the way from San Francisco, USA. Thanks, brother. Good evening, brothers and sisters. So glad to be here with you tonight. 
And um, I, I, Lisa and I, uh, who's here right here with me tonight, we live in San Francisco, California. I've been told several times today there's this connection between uh, San Francisco and Sydney, uh, sister cities. We both got bridges. Uh, they sent, uh, the Brits sent the, sent the convicts to this continent. And the ones that were really bad, rumor has it, were sent over to San Francisco. So that, that's what the old timers used to tell me in my neighborhood. Uh, a young hobbit came to visit me 10 years ago. A young, young Samwise Ganji. <laughs> and uh, Samwise Ganji visited me, and we had an incredible afternoon together. And so this is kind of a like full circle. You visited me, I came to visit uh, you now. Awesome. Um, Lisa and I are co-founders of an organization called Reimagine. We call ourselves the Center for Integral Christian Practice. That's fancy language for saying we're passionate about helping one another put the teachings of Christ into everyday life. What difference does this story make to how we live our everyday lives? And how, what difference might it make to others in how they experience us? Uh, we write books, and we've got some here tonight that are available. One's called Practicing the Way of Jesus. This is kind of my core teaching. I just spent a week uh, helping some leaders work through some of that. We wrote a book called Free, Spending Your Time and Money on What Matters Most. And this morning, I talked from themes from that book uh, here. And uh, a couple of years ago, we had a chance to write a book about family life. It's called Belonging and Becoming. So if you're uh, trying to do family, we totally recommend you pick up this uh, resource. And most recently, I've written a book called The Ninefold Path or The Ninefold Path Learning Lab that looks at the Beatitudes as a revolutionary uh, frame for um, how we live our lives. So what I'm sharing tonight is sort of like smidges from each of these resources. It's, it's like a best of, you know, or a compilation. And um, tonight I want to talk about Jesus and the way of justice. And I'll start with a little bit of the journey that our family's been on. Lisa and I have three young adult kids, Haley, Noah, and Isaiah. And uh, we all live together in an old Victorian in San Francisco's Mission District. We moved there 21 years ago. I was, um, I was a pastor of a 500-person Baptist church in northern Minnesota, and we started to feel this hunger for um, something more. Like Our faith, it felt like, it was inviting us to connect um, more across um, boundaries of race and class and wanting to figure out how to, um, how to be a follower of Jesus in a more complex urban environment. So we bought an old crack house in San Francisco's Mission District neighborhood and went to work fixing it up and figuring out how to be... Uh, neighbors in our neighborhood. And I would have to say, honestly, we've probably had more failures than successes. And we've been, uh, I, I won't put it on anybody else, but I've been a slow learner at, um, at discovering how to resonate with God's heart for, for all people. Um, a couple of years ago, you may be aware of this, it seemed like every month almost in the United States, the police ended up shooting and killing uh, a person of color, and it would hit the news media, and it just started to um, really reverberate and break people's hearts. And uh, a movement was uh, begun called Black Lives Matter. And I remember one day sitting, uh, sitting, uh, looking at, scrolling through Facebook, and seeing so many of my friends posting about this, and um, upset that another person of color had been killed. And at the dinner table that night, I flippantly said. You know, I don't, 
I'm not into all this slacktivism. People talking about this issue like they're really involved. And so I'm not going to post anything about Black Lives Matter uh, on my social media. And if I'm honest, I think part of that was when these these fault lines um, in society come up, we've... We, we, the, maybe our first reaction is to feel defensive. And I think that's what was going on for me. I wanted to make sure that I was justified in whatever I was doing or not doing about the issue. And my daughter Haley said, uh, she was in college at the time, and she, um, she spoke back to me and she said, Papa, if you see injustice and you have a voice, then you should use your voice to speak on the behalf of, of the voiceless, or to amplify their voices and tell their stories. And she sort of put me in my place. And I, um, I wanted to like level the field a little bit. So um, as we were having this conversation, I heard helicopters overhead, and I knew that a rally was going to be forming at the subway station a few blocks away. And I said, okay, But if I'm going to say something about this, then I want to have firsthand experience of what's going on. I don't want it to be just because I read a news article. So I said, I think we should get up from the table right now and go down and listen to what our neighbors have to say about this, who are gathering at the subway station. So we left our plates on the table, half-eaten food. This is a big deal in my house because Lisa likes a nice clean kitchen afterwards so she can finally relax after the end of the day. But we, we left as a family, and we went down, and um, there were hundreds of people gathered, mostly people of color, with signs, and uh, uh, one person had a blowhorn, and um, like a young prophet Isaiah was talking about the justice that God uh, desires to see roll down, to see um, life on earth as it is in heaven. And honestly, it felt more like a worship service than most worship services I've been in, where it's the select few of us together who mostly look like one another, off having a little holy huddle by ourselves. I'm at the public square. I'm, in, I'm at the subway station I go by every day, hearing the words of the prophet Isaiah spoken. And something started to churn and break in my heart. And I, I like to think that if something's broken in our society, then it also... Um, and then, I, then there's something also that is, is broken inside of me. I can't look out and say, that's messed up, and I have nothing to do with it. Because we are gregarious people. We shape the world together, and we participate in systems of oppression and injustice and empire. So I had to ask, what, what is it in me? Why, why, um, how, how have I uh, participated in these um, struggles for equality in my country? And w- one thing that immediately came to mind is the fact of the absence of people at my table and in my life who look different than me and have different life experiences. So a first step for our family was to say, who's at our Thanksgiving Day table? You, you know, it's one of our big holidays. One day we, we're thankful, the next day we go shopping for Christmas presents. But that year we thought, we've got we've to invite some friends to come and have dinner with us and celebrate who, um, who have been left out of our lives. Um, this this kind of hunger for me continues to grow. And uh, a few months later, a, a local pastor 
um, who was a bit of an activist, invited me to have coffee. And he said, you know, there's so much struggle and violence going on in this neighborhood. And we, as the upper middle class church, we need to join with our working class neighbors to, um, to promote peace. And I said, I, I'm sold. Like God's been working on this about me for a while now. And it just so happened that later that night, while I was sitting watching reruns of Arrested Development with my kids, we heard six gunshots. And in my neighborhood, uh, you know, you can't tell if it's fireworks sometimes or gunshots, and you sort of wait to hear the sirens. And that night, I didn't hear any sirens, so I thought, I don't have to go outside. Usually, if I hear the sirens, I wait five minutes and I go see what's going on. But I didn't that, that, that night. And uh, in the morning, in the newspaper, I read what had happened. Um, and I went and, that uh, a young man on my block named Amilcar Perez Lopez had been shot and killed by the police. And the reason that um, I didn't hear sirens is that um, it was two undercover police officers. They broke their own code, and instead of maintaining time and distance, they jumped on him from the backside. He, he, he pulled away from them because he thought he, they were just two big, burly men. And he pulled out a kitchen knife that he had with them. They pulled out their guns, and when he saw their guns, he dropped the knife and ran, turned to run. And when that knife clanged on the ground, one of the officers was startled and shot his gun, and the other one followed. And um, I walked around and talked with neighbors, and the narrative I got from my neighbors who were eyewitnesses to this had a very different story than what was coming out in the newspaper and very different story than what the, um, what the chief of police said about it. Um, and uh, when the autopsy came out, the, um, the, uh, it was shown that there were th- six gunshots in the back rather than the front so that he was fleeing rather than advancing. Well, uh, whenever this happens, uh, there's a community meeting, and Lisa and I went to that meeting that night, and the police, their first posture was to say, yes, we, we had to take care of this situation, and this, they vilified this young man. Uh, it turned out that he was a, um, a young immigrant from, um, from Guatemala. He had come up to, um, to earn money to provide for his family. His employer stood up at the meeting and said, this makes no sense to me. This was a hardworking young man. He worked two jobs and was sending the money to his family in Guatemala. Something is amiss in this situation. And um, his family, uh, he had uh, a mom and dad and five siblings. His uh, parents are disabled, and he, he was able to, in just the last few months, help them get uh, access to electricity for the first time. Um, we started a meeting with neighbors, uh, most of them Latin American, and um, I realized right away that in most situations that I'm involved with, I get to be in charge. I'm a white, middle-aged male, I'm educated, and I like, to, I like to lead, I like to be in charge, but um, it wasn't appropriate in this situation to have, to have a, somebody with my profile calling the meetings and uh, making things happen. And so Lisa and I said, I think our job in this situation is just to invite people to our house, make the soup, buy the candles for the vigils, and do a lot of listening 
and not insert ourselves. Somebody with somebody like me um, immediately goes to intellectualizing about things. Well, they sh- he shouldn't have been doing this, and they shouldn't have. When why this and that? And uh, we just thought now now's our time to listen and join rather than starting and leading. Um, one thing they needed help with was. Um, filing a report with the city to say, I think that a mistake was made by the police. And um, along with a group of pastors and other faith leaders, we stood in front of City Hall and said, this needs to be investigated. Something needs to happen. And that was um, really a pivotal point for our family of joining in with the struggles for justice in our neighborhood in a way that we never had. Uh, Our kids got involved in these vigils, and we were able to um, do some things to help people remember what had happened on this corner. And we set up what is called in Latin American culture an altar so that people could remember. Uh, A young man was shot and killed here unjustly. And we're longing for the day when people are treated with fairness in our culture. And it's not the color of your skin that determines whether or not you're treated with justice and equity, that it's for all people. This is God's desire for shalom. So um, I don't know how, my, how this part of my story hits you, but in the United States, when I tell this story, people start getting really nervous. Is he saying something bad about law enforcement? Um, you know, like, is this going really political suddenly? I thought we were here to talk about Jesus and God's love for us. What's going on? And what I'm trying to help you understand is that our desire to live life with God is deeply connected with how we live with one another. And the passage that was read from Isaiah 58 really makes that clear. For justice-seeking followers of Jesus throughout the ages, Isaiah 58 has been a very pivotal passage. And um, it's already been read, so I'm going to just give you the Mark Scandrett paraphrase of what's going on there in those 12 verses. So there's a group of people who want to feel close to God. And the prophet is sent to them, and essentially the prophet says, I see you here trying to get close to God, ardently worshiping in the ways that you know how. You're fasting, you're praying. I think if they lived in the 21st century, they'd be in a room with their hands raised, seeking God's presence to be with them. And the prophet says to them, essentially, if you want to be close to your creator, then care about the things that your creator cares about. It's not just for a day or an hour that you come and you try and be close to me. Join my heart. Resonate with my desire to see wholeness and healing come. Pay your workers fairly. Stop treating each other badly. Um, Care for the poor and the oppressed. Um, And what's interesting is the promises that start to unfold in those last couple of verses of this passage where it says, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday sun. In fact, part of that passage says, if you do these things, if you start caring about the poor and the oppressed, your healing will come. So some of us in this room, we've experienced trauma, we long for healing, and according to this text, our healing comes as we not only think about ourselves, but we figure out, we ask, how can I join in being a healer for for those who are left out and left behind? 
So Jesus, it appears, was well aware of this passage from Isaiah 58. Because in Matthew 25, he tells a story that echoes almost exactly the phrases from Isaiah 58. And it's the story of the sheep and the goats. And he says, um, um, he, he makes the point that um, it's those who... Uh, the, the, those who are welcomed by the Father are those who are cared for, those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and lonely. And the, those followers say, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, or in prison? And the punchline to Jesus' story is, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. If you want to love God, you have to love those that God has made. That's how you join with in intimacy with the creator of the universe. So I want to mix things up just a little bit tonight, and I'm going to invite you into some postures and some converse, a little bit of conversation. I hope that's okay um, to just break, break our contract a little bit and invite you to talk uh, and join me in a conversation a little bit. Are you okay with that? Thumbs up? So I want you to, um, in a moment, turn to a couple of people around you and bat around these questions. Who, if Jesus said those who are on the, on, the father's, uh, on the Father's side are those who care for the least of these, well, who are the least of these in New South Wales and in the global south? Or where in our world is the struggle happening right now? If you find those questions to be a little bit too confronting or, or negative in their posture, you could also try this one on. What do you dream for? How do you want to see the world be different than it is right now? Okay, Take a couple of minutes and turn and uh, talk amongst yourselves. I wish I could be in all the little clusters of conversations. And um, maybe we can keep talking, but all have one conversation together. Uh, what came up in your group? Where, what are, who, are, who are the least of these, do you think, in New South Wales? What comes up? The homeless? Yep. And a lot of times with homelessness, comes, it also is related to mental health issues and dual diagnosis, using street drugs to try and um, you know, address that kind of, those mental health issues. Yeah. What else? Indigenous Australians? Yep. The original caretakers of this of the land of this continent and the the effects of colonialism and things like that. Mm -hmm. What else comes to mind? Yes. Just the yeah, loneliness, and probably with that depression, yeah. suicide rates. Yeah. Anything that hasn't been mentioned that comes to mind for you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the adjustments of refugee communities mm -hmm. that can be very difficult. Well, that's a good start to to, um, to this. Did anybody want to want to address that question more? What kind of world do you dream of? What kind of world do you live in? How would you like to see the world made different and better and more whole? Even when I ask that now, what comes to mind? How would you like it? To, how would you like the world to be different? Yes. So things in order, um, uh, fo you know, following, following um, the good way that our creator has for us. Yeah. I'd like to see a world that um, people actually treat people with respect and dignity and kindness. Yeah. A world where people treat each other with dignity and respect and kindness. Snaps for that. I dig it. <laughs> Anything else come to mind? A world where everyone 
Ooh, I love it. A world where everyone has enough. Snaps for that. <laughs> and he, last call. So sometimes when we start to go down this direction of thinking, um, we're confronted with the, the question of can, can the world be any different than it is right now? And in the um, Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes, Jesus answers that question with a few statements. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they will be satisfied. They will be filled. Um, the, you, you might say, well, that's not exactly how I've seen this verse written. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But in the language in which these words were first written, there was one word for righteousness and justice together. And it meant being right with God and living a right way in relationship to others. Does that make sense? And I think our, uh, the mistranslation of this word has sent us in some wrong directions or unhelpful directions when it comes to our sense of what it means to live life with God, that we think it's only about personal piety, me and Jesus and our special relationship, not thinking about living justly, living as God would have us live in relation to others. But it really means both of those things. Well, can the world be different than it is? I think our first, uh, our first instinct, and maybe you can do this with me just so we can live this in our bodies a little bit, what we sometimes think in our minds. Our first instinct is to go, there's so many problems, what can we do, right? This is like, you know, think, of, think about a, a guy from Brooklyn. What can we do, right? And, and so put your hands up this. What, what, how can the world be different? What, what can one person do, you know? And in response to this, the message of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're what this world needs. Let your light shine before people that they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so the gospel invites us to go from this posture. You're doing a good job with this. What can be done? Um, invites us from this posture of what can we do to actually embracing our power to do good. Think about Wakanda or Wonder Woman. It's not, a, it's not a fight stance, but try it with me and actually stand up when you do it. It's hard to do this one sitting down. Stand up. Cross your, your hands in your by your chest there. We shape the world by our choices. Uh, what, how we spend, what we choose to do, um, makes a difference in this world. And so we're invited to surrender our kingdoms to God's kingdom and to use the energy, the power that we have to do good. Psalm 8 says that you were made just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. You're a powerful being, and God's inviting you to use your power for good, to join with the good that God wants to do in this world. So I want you to say this with me uh, uh, together. Let's read the words on the screen together as a prayer. Lead us in the way of justice. Thank you. You may, you may be seated. So what I'm suggesting is that um, uh, I think we're all asking the question at some point in our lives, why are we here? And the gospel response to this is that we're here to be a part of the healing and restoring work of God in the world. You see this in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. We can imagine a world that's different and better than it is currently. And Jesus is inviting us to say, join with God's desire to bring about the shalom of the kingdom of God. We're being invited to care about everything that our creator cares about. So in the last part here of my talk, I'm going to talk through four steps, and you could call them even baby steps, for learning to become a person who lives in the way of justice as a follower of Jesus. Uh, the first that I would suggest is that we're, we, we're invited to pay attention to needs in our immediate surroundings. Who are the people that I'm closest to that right now are in suffering and struggle. Most of us don't have to go outside of our family relationships to find someone who is in suffering or struggle. Lisa has an adopted brother named Robert who has struggled in his life with mental health issues. He's sometimes homeless, often homeless, and um, we don't have to go. We don't have to go outside of our family to find somebody who needs a, an extra bit of our care and attention. I have a cousin who's struggling with. Um, suicidal thoughts and um, borderline personality disorder. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when the people in my life and in my family are struggling, my first response is sometimes to pull away. Oh, that was an odd comment, or wow, it seems like he showed up a little tipsy, or um, what's going on in their relationship? And we pull away instead of engaging. And perhaps the first step is to say, maybe as an agent of God's healing work in the world, I'm invited to stay engaged rather than pulling away from those places of struggle. Um, does that make sense? Thumbs up to that? Uh, a second step that can be helpful to us is to learn about global issues, needs, and struggles. Um, uh, um, a lot of the things that, since we're an interconnected world, we're related to things not just in our city or in our neighborhood, but we're connected to things happening all over the planet. I remember um, uh, in our community in San Francisco, a lot of the folks in my church got really torn up about the issue of human trafficking a few years ago. And people were reading about it and posting about it. And we really had to try and figure out well, how, how are we connected to, to this phenomenon? And we discovered very quickly that where we get our coffee, where we get our chocolate, where we get our, um, our produce, where we get our clothes is all related to this issue of global human trafficking. How we, whether or not we participate in adult media is, is related systemically to issues of, of human trafficking. And so we can make small choices in how we shop, what we buy, um, where, where we get the things that we, we have that are connected to these um, issues as well. So it can help as a first step to get a bit of an education. Uh, if you're watching Netflix, uh, maybe there's a tendency sometimes to go, it's Friday night or it's Sunday night. I want something that's going to make me laugh or uh, take me out of this world. But there's, there's often documentaries on our um, you know, movie platforms that can help educate us a bit about struggles in our world. Uh, there's one up on there called, uh, called Cowspiracy about how global warming is related to the amount of beef consumption and the way we, we produce beef that's, uh, I think, worth looking at. Uh, there's another one about the um, long-term effects of our use of plastic bottles 
and that, that island growing out in the Pacific and how the disintegration is affecting um, the, the natural ecosystem and small things that we could do about that. I could try and fill up my water bottle, you know, a, a reusable one, rather than, than always getting the, um, the bottled water. Or if I, am gonna, if, I do, if, if I do need bottled water, I could really make sure that it, those get recycled. These are some small steps that help us understand the systems that we might be a part of. Uh, thumbs up to that one. Get an, get an education about some of these things. And I'm going to say, uh, just before I move on from that, it, it, might, it might feel a little bit uncomfortable to find out some of these things. It sounds like bad news, but we're being invited um, by the gospel to sit with and mourn and lament with the ways that our world is broken. And if we're willing to do that, We'll experience God's comfort and hopeful, hopefully empowerment to say, what can I do to make a difference? Uh, a third step that I, I've found helpful is to seek firsthand experiences with the diversity and aches in our world. We live in, I think, what, what I would describe as a secondhand culture. We hear the news or we see something on social media or someone tells us something and then we form opinions and perspectives and then we act and respond out of those, um, those stereotypes and impressions. And whenever possible, I think it's helpful to, to, in, to take a step to engage. So things aren't theoretical, they're, they're for reals. You know what I'm talking about? Um, a couple years ago, we got a new president in my country and immediately he started making changes that affected the, the least of these in my culture. Um, the people who are the most marginalized in American society are people from uh, an Islamic background. And he even banned people from coming to the United States or tried to from seven different Islamic countries. People were, uh, most of the Uber drivers where I live are from those countries. Some people were visiting their families and coming back and got stopped at the airport. And I knew that my brothers and sisters in the Islamic community would really be heartbroken about what was going on. And very few people have the courage to relate to this community. And so I happened to have had a relationship with a, a mosque not far from our house. And I went down on uh, Friday prayers and um, sat, with the, uh, sat with the folks there. And this is a funny thing. They always, whenever I go, they always invite me up to, make a, to say something after the, after the sermon. So I'm standing in this room with a couple hundred Yemenis Uber drivers and um, just had a chance to say, hey, uh, I'm sorry for what's going on and how, how you're feeling left out, but I want you to know you're, we're all brothers and sisters. We're in this together. You're, I don't have to tell you you're welcome here. And with God's help, we're going to figure out how to be family together through, um, in the midst of this pain. Sometimes you have to leave your context to have a firsthand experience. One of the things we know about middle-class culture in particular is that as we are moving up socioeconomically, we like to live in neighborhoods, go to cafes and restaurants where people, where, where people have our same tastes. And um, this removes us from awareness of some of the struggles in our culture. I've been staying up in a beach community, and I walked around there yesterday, and I didn't see anyone who was struggling. You know, um, and and um, because the peop- the only people who could afford to live in that neighborhood are people who have really had a had a leg up in this world, and so sometimes we have to th- reconsider our travel boundaries. 
Where, what cafes and restaurants do I go to? What neighborhoods do I hang out in? And a small step is to say, what if we went to a different part of the city where we're likely to encounter uh, uh, places of, of difference? It can also help, especially in a country like Australia, where you, maybe if you, have, if you have the resources to visit another part of the world where you can, um, that'll help you realize, wow, not everybody has the privileges that we have here, and how can I be in relationship with those places? Last year when we were in, uh, we, were in uh, we got a chance to visit and make friends in Port Augusta in South Australia, and we had the honor of being welcomed to country. Uh, by my young friend here, Yimmy, who is a who is a, um, a elder in training, and it was a, a real humbling experience. He actually gave me the sh- the shirt I'm wearing tonight. He's from Cooper, um, uh, and he really he really was excited to give this to me as a sign of our friendship. And um, being with them reminded me of where I grew up too, because we have indigenous people where I come from who were poorly, you know, really badly mistreated. And uh, we got to be spend a whole evening with this community up in Port Augusta. There was a dance troupe called Dusty Feet Mob that danced for us uh, and told the story of um, kind of the struggles of the indigenous community. Some of the elders talked about being part of the stolen generation, being taken from their parents and put in boarding schools. And I, um, I was trying to say something to him, and I literally started weeping. And, um, and I went to my friend Yemi and said, um, you know, my heart breaks about how, how your people have been treated. And they told me things I didn't realize, like they didn't get citizenship until 1969. And on most of your money are, pic- are images of animals, but on the $2 coin, it's a picture of an aboriginal person. What, how, what, and, and my friend said, That's, that says something to me, you know? Um, we, uh, we, did, we tried to do a little spiritual exercise at the, the local mall in Adelaide. Where I, and um, uh, my friends were kind of resistant to it. And afterwards, they said, Mark, you don't understand. When we walk through this mall, we're treated very differently than you're treated. And people wonder, why are they here? Is, am I, are they going to steal something? And that helped me. Uh, you know, it was another lesson to me about how different our experience is based on where we come from. I, um, I, hope, I hope this is okay to say, but in the la- just even in the last two days, when I just mentioned that I'd gone and started to make friends with, um, with these young indigenous Christians, someone's... Un, in, like without being solicited, said, well, you know, those people, they, and fill in the blank, right? And it reminded me how my grandparents used to talk about indigenous people where I come from. Something we need to understand is that when someone, like, a, like someone who's um, been trafficked or enslaved, like folks, uh, like African Americans in my country, or displaced, like uh, indigenous people here, there is generational trauma that affects your ability to take healthy new steps in the culture. And that it's really, I think, unkind and uncompassionate to have a first reaction of trying to explain why this person, it's their fault that they're in the situation that they're in. The gospel calls us to a greater amount of um, compassion and curiosity to seek to understand someone else's life experience. And finally... I think we're being invited to find creative ways 
to connect and serve. What is a step that we could t- um, you might be being invited to take to have an ongoing relationship that crosses boundaries of race or class? Um, someone who was here at this church this morning and came up to me and, um, and s- afterwards and said, I spent five years uh, working at a, sh- a shelter in the CBD. And it was an amazing five and a half years. I loved life while I was doing that. I felt so vital and was part, was part of a bigger community. And it's been a while now and I'm missing that. I'm sure that if you do a little bit of brainstorming amongst yourselves, you could identify some, some people and places that you could connect with to, uh, to connect and serve. And this is why I use the term connect because we're learning that it's more than just me being the person who has more power or more privilege and me doing some do-gooding on someone else, right? That doesn't feel respectful. It doesn't feel honoring, but it's also not completely accurate. I need relationships with people who have different life experiences than me. I'm missing out on the beloved community that the gospel invites us into. And if I can learn to engage in friendship and partnership, then my life is enriched. You know, my friend Yemi, who gave me this T-shirt when I was broken up about about these things, he said, he said, Mark, uh, you're not responsible for what's happened in the past. But he said, you are responsible together with me about what happens in the future and the kind of world that we create that, that honors the dream of God's kingdom. So um, some small steps. Uh, this will be a story that Sam can connect with because this is about the family that linked us together. Uh, the Prince family. I sometimes have to learn from people younger than me. And this family came to visit me, and one of my little quirks is that I often find things on the sidewalk. I find clothes. I find sometimes valuables. I find money on the sidewalk. I was in London a few, couple months ago, found 58 pounds just on the, on the street. So um, I have a bit of a reputation with the younger people I know. And so they said, let's go around the neighborhood and find some stuff, Mark. And so sure enough, we did find. Here's a sweater for you. Here's some toys. Here's a bicycle. I, it's, like a, it's like a superpower. I, I wish I could heal people, but instead I find junk that's worth stuff on the sidewalk. <laughs> on this walk, we find um, we, we, um, there's a bakery that's just closing for the day, and they've got stacks of delicious pizzas and pastries all out there, clean and sanitary, just brought out the door, and we picked them up, and I'm thinking, awesome, now I don't have to spend as much at the grocery store because I'm a cheapskate, and I'm going to bring them home to my family. And we're walking home, and the kids are munching on maybe a cookie that we had there, and my young friend Jesse starts seeing homeless people. And he says, hey, we got this whole bag of pizzas and pastries here. We should share them. And he started walking from door to door and and just walking up and saying, hello, hey, would you like a piece of pizza? We got a lot of pizza pizza here. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this nine-year-old Jesse Prince is teaching me how to walk in the way of justice. Um, Sometimes it takes a little extra uh, step to find the practical thing. And um, because... Because the world is in such inequality, 
it often is helpful to develop a relationship with somebody in a very different context. There's organizations that do what's called child-focused development, like Compassion International, and a small practical step might be that you sponsor a child. And those organizations, and I represent some of them, will tell me it's not just about the exchange of money. It's about the relationship that's built. So when I get a letter from Yahaira here, who's growing up in El Salvador, it's a monthly reminder to me Wow, we're in this together, and I want to care. I want her to have um, all that's good, just like I, I like I do for my own daughter. So I want to leave you uh, with a question tonight. And the question is: What small change to live justly do you feel invited to make, but you haven't yet put into practice? I'm guessing that there's been something you've been prompted with in the last months or the last couple of years, you're like, that's a step I could take to live more ethically and justly, to, to, live, to, to, to live towards heaven and earth coming together. And you just haven't quite gotten it together to take that, make that change. You know? um, and I'm, I'm inviting you to consider sharing with somebody that you live with or love this week Here's that step that I've been thinking about or that we've even talked about. Let's go ahead and take that small step. And in my experience, and um, if Lisa had the microphone right now, she would say, all we have to do is take that next small step. And it's going li- to take us to another small step and another small step. And it's going to snowball until we move into really being those people who um, are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, those people who help justice roll down, those people who, like in the passage we read tonight, rebuild the cities and restore the streets. And that's the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into, to to live in the way of justice. So I want to invite you um, into a bit of a benediction with me. I'm going to share a a poem that I wrote years ago thinking about this that's kind of an invocation to the invitation we have. But before I do, I want to just say to you that um, I know I've, I've talked about some sensitive topics tonight and some hard things. And one place you could go with that is to go, oh, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't like hearing about that, or that was convicting. But to have the right perspective on this, let's understand that when Jesus invites us into his way, it's a better life than the one we've already created for ourselves. If we learn to take these steps of compassion and justice, our lives are going to be richer and fuller, less lonely, and more whole and exciting and vital than a life that's removed from struggle, Um, separated from difference. You feel me on that? Does that make sense? So I want you to stand up with me and hold this justice posture as I share this poem with you that's actually inspired by Isaiah 58. You can close your eyes and just let the words wash over you. Lonely highways, dusty fields, flatland, Midwest humidity, my rust-colored AMC matador barrels down the road toward justice, mercy, love. You leave home. To Jericho you roam through fallow fields and winter trees stripped bare, skeleton branches reaching for the air, and they are waiting 
Waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Waiting for the hands that will soothe and heal. And down that road, down that road, down that road, I see the Nazarene embraced as Messiah and Rabbi King. I see our desperation for substance become living abundance, loosening the chains of injustice, breaking the yoke of oppression, feeding the hungry, welcoming the weak, and we will no longer turn away from our own flesh and blood. We will be called repairs of broken streets and walls and streets with dwellings. Yes, the road ahead for you and for me, for us together, is a road toward justice, mercy, love. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to participate in that. Say those words with me. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to do what we can do and we want you to do everything we cannot do because of the power of your resurrection. Amen? Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.